We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. What we've been seeing through Hebrews is the author of Hebrews, and remember, we don't, we don't know who this is. We don't even know exactly who the letter was written to, but we do know it was written to people who were Jewish, now followers of Jesus. And yet they're being tempted and tested to turn back to trusting in their own works, trusting in obeying the law perfectly on their own in order to get their way to God and find salvation. They're being uh, oppressed for following Jesus. And so the temptation is, well, life would just be easier if I go back to this old way, right? And so that's the context of who this is being written to. And the author is over and over and over again saying, hey, all these things about your faith that you know, they are good. Jesus is better. All these things about your faith and the history of the church, they are good. They are always pointing you to Jesus. Jesus doesn't come and do away with it. He doesn't come and go, knock that down. Let's start something new now. Instead, What he does is he comes and he actually becomes the fulfillment of what all those things were pointing you toward hoping in. And so we've been seeing that Jesus is the better priest. He is the better rest. He is the better instruction for us to listen to. He is better than the angels. He's better than the humans. He's better than all these things. And so today we continue on in that theme. It's not a a whole new uh, section. It's not a whole new message. This is all one sermon given by the author. That gave you enough time to turn to Hebrews chapter 6, didn't it? Okay, good. Hebrews 6, we'll pick up in verse 13. And the author of Hebrews writes this, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them, a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And there it is again, this little like, Name drop there of this strange character, Melchizedek. Don't worry, we're actually getting to him next week, okay? Uh, That was just a segue into what he's going to start unpacking in chapter 7. And we'll talk all about who this Melchizedek guy is. Let's put that on a shelf for a second and look at the rest of what we just heard in chapter 6, okay? This is God's word, so let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this group of people that can come together, sit in a room with air conditioning, thank God, and hear your word spoken to us. God, would your spirit be ministering to each of our hearts and our minds and our souls? Would you open up each and every single one of us to hear and receive and to be transformed by you today? God, soften our hearts 
make us more like your son, Jesus. And would you guard and protect my mouth from speaking anything that is not from you, anything that is not what you would have for your people today, God. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So when I got here this morning, I stepped outside this door for a second and I saw John and Amy walking up, ready for practice for music. And they were talking to two people I had never seen before. And they're like, oh, this is one of our pastors here. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm on. Like, turn the, turn the switch on. Here we go. <laughs> and so I went and met them. And uh, it was Lorenzo and Heather. Lorenzo, right? Okay, good, I remembered. Uh, and so they were going through a tough time. Uh, his daughter, Heather, had just gotten out of a 90-day rehab. And they're trying to get back home to Tucson, right? And so they're going, we, don't, we have a little bit of gas in our tank, but not enough. So I said, okay, let's drive over then to this QT here and, and we'll fill up your tank and get you on your way. And so we go there and the whole time I'm driving, I'm like, is this story true? You know, like, you, do you guys, can you relate to that? You have those thoughts, right? I don't always respond to those things in a way like, hey, let me meet your need. Sometimes because I just don't want to, if I'm honest, right? Uh, sometimes because like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna spend my money or my time sometimes because I don't believe the story. That's just a reality too. Uh, and so sometimes there's actually an underlying, even a better reason. And I'll usually like go to that reason to excuse the other bad reasons that I have. <laughs> but it's like, sometimes it's not actually helpful just to give money to somebody. So I was like, I'm not going to give you money, but let's go to the gas station. We'll fill up your tank. And so we did that. We, we got there. And while we're there filling up the tank and we're talking, uh, you know, this girl's hungry. And so they asked, do you have any like snacks or water back at the church? And I was like, we do, but I don't want to give you goldfish. Let's go. <laughs> it's QT, you know, but it's not the best, but we'll go get you some food. And so we go inside and get her some food and we come back out. And then as I'm talking with the dad again, another guy comes up to me with his walking stick and he gives me a story and is asking for money. And again, I don't always do this, but I was like, man, I just help them out. Like, why am I? So I was like, all right, hey man, I don't have money. We can go inside a QT and we can get you a breakfast sandwich and a drink. And he's like, that'd be fantastic. Thank you. So I go and I do that. I come out and I hand it to them. I ended up being able to pray with all three of them at different times and to share some good news with them. And then I started asking the question, do they believe me? Like that, that was my dilemma. It's like, do I believe this story that they're giving me? Right? And I decided it doesn't matter if I believe it or not. Here's an opportunity where I get to share a story with them. And I get to share some hope and some good news that even in the midst of a broken world, in the midst of, of drug addiction, and in the midst of cancer was a story I got, and in the midst of all these things going on, there's still a good God who loves you and wants to be with you. And I'm like, do they believe that story? Are they going to buy that from me? Because it doesn't seem to match the reality of what they're experiencing, right? And so my story is probably just as hard, maybe much harder for them to believe than it was for me to believe their stories. And that's kind of what we're getting into, what the author of Hebrews is laying out for us in chapter six here, is when someone says something and it's really hard to believe it. And so what I think is funny is what the author references is a time when God swore by his own name that he would do something. 
And I don't know about you guys, like I got in trouble one time as a kid for saying, I swear to God. And my mom was like, don't you ever swear to God again. (laughs) Did anybody experience that before? So I'm like, wait a second. If I knew that this verse existed, I would have had so much ammunition against my mom. Even God swears to God, you know, (laughs) like... But then we also, we get this scripture where Jesus is talking to people and he's saying, hey, let your yes be a yes. Don't make an oath. Just let your yes be a yes. Let your no be a no. People should be able to trust you and take your word, right? Uh, and then another time he says, if you make a vow before God, make sure you carry it out. And so you get this kind of dilemma here. Like, wait a second, is God allowed to do this? <laughs> but what's going on here is not that you can never make a vow to another name that's higher and more powerful than yours. Jesus is trying to get to the heart out. Hey, if you're living in such a way where people never believe you, this morning I woke up and I was laying in bed for a while and then I eventually told Bethany, I'm gonna get up now. And she goes, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't, I didn't let her see it. I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to. And I still laid there. I was like, I promise I'm gonna get up soon. <laughs> Right, But like, if you're living in such a way where you see these patterns over and over again and you say something, people go, no, 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 I know, I know that's not true because I've seen something completely different. So Jesus is getting to the heart of that, right? Live with such integrity that when you say something to the people who know you, they will know you mean it. Now, the problem is there's gonna be people who don't know you yet. And when God comes to Abraham, Abraham doesn't really know him yet, Right? So we do this in society all the time. If you feel like I'm not allowed to swear to God, like we do this, even in in wedding ceremonies, right? You make vows before God. In our judicial system, you put your hand on the Bible and you say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you God, right? Anytime you sign a contract, you're swearing by your own name. I'm gonna do this right? Unless when you're a kid and you're like, I swear I'm going to, and behind your back, you're crossing your fingers, right? <laughs> but we do this all the time in our culture where, where we are trying to make sure people know. What are some other ways that you would make an oath to somebody? I swear to God, what else? What else would you swear to? I don't know who Bob is or why I should believe you when you swear to him. Your moms, right? Is that what you said? Did you say your moms? Oh. Oh, a promise. Yeah, yeah, when you make a promise. Yeah, but when you want someone to believe that promise. Your teacher swore to Bob. Bob better hold that teacher accountable, right? Yes, the handshake with that. Yeah, exactly. That's another form of that. Pinky promise. Doctors make oaths. Yes, good. What, what about, uh, I swear on my mom's grave? That's, that's a big one, I don't know. <laughs> right, and so then there's the ultimate, is I swear to God. Because why, what you're doing is you're going to, if you don't believe me, believe this. If you don't believe me, believe in this other, right? If you don't believe that I'll keep my word just on my own, trust that I'll keep my word because this thing is holding me accountable. And so the ultimate is getting to, there's a God who sees and who knows, and he will hold me accountable. And so God has no higher place to go than himself. He can't go, I swear on the universe, because he created the universe, right? 
And so what the author of Hebrews is actually referencing comes from Genesis 22. We can put that up on the screen. And in Genesis 22, a really weird thing just went down. Abraham, who God called, and he called him to go and, and be fruitful and multiply a family that would turn into a nation. And out of this nation, God would bless the whole world. Couldn't have kids at first. And then when he finally does have a son, God says, hey, will you sacrifice your son for me? Don't worry, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about why in the world God would do that in a second. But that's the context. Right when Abraham was going to do this, God provided another way. And so God says this to him. He sends a, a messenger to go speak to Abraham, and he says this, By myself I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies. God says, by myself, I swore. God says, I swear to God, this is going to happen. Right? It's kind of funny. It's weird. And, and why is he doing that? Why is he making that? He's actually echoing, he's reminding Abraham of a promise he made to him long before that. And so if we back up to Genesis 12, when God first comes and speaks to Abraham, in Genesis 12, just the first three verses, we'll read that. God comes to this man, Abram, right? And he ends up changing his name later to Abraham, which would mean the father of many because he fulfills that promise that he has many descendants. So the Lord said to Abram, before he had this promise fulfilled, go from your land, your relatives, your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Just by way of repetition, what do you think this promise is about that God's making? Blessings, right? God has come to this man who had not done anything yet for God. And he makes a promise. He makes an oath. I am going to bless you. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. I will bless your offspring. I will make you a great nation and that nation will be blessed. That nation will then be a blessing to the other nations. The whole world, all the peoples of the earth will find blessing through you. God makes a promise and it's a pretty big one. And what we find throughout the rest of the story of Abraham is he doesn't really do so well upholding his end of the promise. It's really interesting because when we get to Hebrews 11, we're going to hear about Abraham and how he believed God's promise and that was counted to him as righteousness, his faith. Now, what we see about Abraham is he actually doubts a lot if we read his story. But the overall trajectory is, wow, I, I have no reason. Like, I didn't know you before, this God. And, and I, this could go a number of different ways but I'm going to trust that what you said is true. And there's moments of doubt. There's moments of him trying to do it in his own power, in his own control, to take things into his own hands. But overall, then he keeps turning back to, no, 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 wait. God said this. I'm going to trust his promise. Right? So we can have these moments of doubt in our lives. We're going to. But repentance is turning. So we go, wait a second. I remember the truth about what God said. And we turn back to that. So Abraham had that, and that was counted to him as righteousness. But Abraham 
failed a lot, right? At one point, when God tells him, hey, I'm going to give you children, first of all, he's 75 years old when this comes to him. I don't know about you guys, but like, I'm 39 and I'm done with kids. I'm already getting AARP letters, by the way, right? I can't wait for the day where I'm getting senior discounts at diners. Like, that's going to be awesome. Abraham was already there. He was not (laughs) of childbearing age. Neither was his wife, all right? And then this promise doesn't happen for another 20-something years. So in their 90s, there's like, seems to be no way this could happen, but God upholds his promise. And so at one point, Abraham's doubting, as I would, is this really going to happen? And so his wife is doubting too, and she's like, hey, let's not wait on God's timing. Let's do this in our own strength. I have a solution. You can go sleep with one of my servants. Like, this is messed up, guys. You can go sleep with one of my servants. And she has no say in the matter, by the way, because she's a servant. So just go and take her. And then when she has a kid and gives Abraham a son, and God's like, no, no, that's not the one I promised you. (laughs) And then his wife starts getting jealous and bitter and says, send her and that kid away. And he does it. After all of that, God still comes through on his promise, even though Abraham royally messed up, even though Abraham had some severe moments of doubt, even though Abraham tried to take matters into his own hands and really hurt people in the process. Somehow, for some reason, through all of that, God, because he made a promise and swore it, he kept it. God is not a God who lies. God is not a God who goes back on his word. He's not a God who's crossing his fingers behind his back as he's raising his right hand. God is a God who, when he says something, it happens. And it may happen 20 years later. It may happen 400 years later. It may happen not in our timing, but when God makes a promise, you can bet he will keep it. And so God does this really interesting thing when Abraham finally has a son through his wife, Sarah. He says, hey, I want you to take your son, your only son, the one I promised you that the whole world would find blessing through. And I want you to march up this hill and I want you to lay him on an altar and sacrifice him. Now here's where some of that testing starts to go right for Abraham. Why would God ask to do this, by the way, in the first place? Testing, yeah, loyalty. Testing his loyalty to him. Listen, we already had seen throughout the scriptures that God hates when these other nations would sacrifice children to their gods. God's not about that, okay? So there was never in any moment God expecting that this would actually happen. What God's doing is he's testing, hey, you've doubted me all along the way, Abraham. Are you going to trust me now? And so when we get to Hebrews 11, it'll even unfold kind of what was going on behind that thinking, that Abraham trusted that this God who provided a child to him in his 90s, miraculously, that even if something were to happen to that child, that God could raise that child back from death. So God's simply asking, will you trust me? It's the same test that happened in the very beginning of the story in the garden. Will you trust me? Or are you going to try to do things your own way? Take matters into your own hands. Do you trust that my way is better and I will do the thing I said I'm going to do? 
I told you, Abraham, that blessing would come through this son. Are you willing to trust that even when it seems like it's gonna be taken away from you? And so when Abraham says, all right, I'll trust you this time, he finally passes that test. And now we can have him in Hebrews 11, this kind of hall of faith as it's been called in the past of someone who trusted God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He takes his son, Isaac, up that mountain and he brings a knife and he is ready to take God to the limit. And at the last moment, God speaks up and says, no, 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 don't do it. I have another way for you. And there's a ram stuck in the bushes and they sacrifice to the ram instead in place of his son. Now, what's fascinating about all this is God is not just testing the loyalty of Abraham. He's also setting up a preview for the rest of the world. So Abraham's children and children's children and children's children's children and the other nations that they're supposed to be a blessing to would hear this story and go, oh, God is a God who will provide a way out. God's a God who will make a sacrifice in our place so that we can experience life and blessing that he has promised to us. It's sure and it's secured. And the author of Hebrews goes on in what we just read in chapter six to say, listen, that has happened. That has come through his only son, Jesus. When God asks Abraham, are you willing to sacrifice your only son, the son of the promise? And Abraham says, I'll do it because I trust you. God says, you don't have to because that's exactly what I'm going to do for you. My only son, the son of the promise, the son who is actually the fulfillment of Israel now being a blessing to the whole world. That blessing comes from the son of God being put up as a sacrifice on top of a mountain. And he becomes the one in place for the rest of us. And so the author of Hebrews says this, he says, this is an anchor that we have to hold on to. Let me read that for us real quick. He says in verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Jesus has entered on our behalf as a forerunner. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. A few years back, my dad was living in Wisconsin right there at the border of Wisconsin, Montana. And I went up and I visited him and we thought it would be a really fun thing to go and canoe in the Hudson River. And so we talked to his friend who lived there and he had a canoe and some supplies to loan to us. And so we're like, all right, we're gonna do it. And while we're there preparing, his wife's looking on the computer and she's like, "Uh, I don't think you should send them on the river because there's a huge storm coming through. And he's like, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. They'll be all right. And we're like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, trust me. So we end up going. And as we're getting out to load up, you start hearing these sirens going off. It was a storm warning. And we're like, bro, are you sure this is okay? This is safe? He's like, guys, I do this all the time. It's totally fine. Trust me. I'm like, okay. The sky starts getting black. Like clouds are rolling in. We're like, dude, are we really doing this? As we're dragging the boat into the water. And he's like, guys, I promise you, I swear to you, you are going to be safe. And we trusted him. <laughs> so we get out and we're in the middle of this river. I think I said the Hudson River. That's, that's not the, the Mississippi River is where we were. Hudson's in New York, right? I don't know. 
my geography. We were in the middle of the Mississippi River in a canoe, my dad and I. We don't do this stuff. I'm born and raised in Phoenix. There's not a lot of canoeing going on, right? There's not a lot of water anywhere. So we're out there, and the siren's still going off, and he takes off in his truck, and we're out there for a while. But the clouds then start to like dissipate, and we're like, oh, maybe he was right. The siren stops. We're like, okay, good. We're, we're all right. We're going to be all right. We, we trust this guy now, and we're like rowing out there, right? And we're having a great time. And then all of a sudden, the clouds just whoo, come back really quick, and the sky is just dark, and it starts storming on us. There's lightning, thunder. It's just pouring down rain on us. And we're getting tossed back and forth in this river. Finally, we are fighting our way to the bank to get over there. And we make it over there. We have to get out. And we try to, we can't, there's nowhere to tie this canoe up. He didn't give us any rope or anything. And it's full of water. And so we use somehow by God's grace, all of our strength, we're able to like tip it over and get the water out. And we put it over our heads and we run up the side of the hill a little bit and we sit next to a tree and it's getting so windy, it's pushing us. And it's catching now, the wind is catching the canoe and trying to take it like a sail as we're holding onto it. So we grab onto this tree and we just have to wait the storm out. And the tree became an anchor for us. That's what an anchor does, is it digs into the earth and it becomes immovable. The tree planted firmly in the ground was anchoring us in place so that we could then anchor this canoe and hold it in place and for what felt like forever, wait out this storm. So anchors will hold you in place, right? That's what they're made for. Listen, you don't get an anchor so that storms don't come. You get an anchor because you know for certain there will be storms. And when those storms come, you're still going to feel it. If you've ever been in a boat that's anchored down, you still feel those waves pushing you back and forth slightly, right? You still feel the movement of it. It's not that you will not feel the storms of life coming around you. But if you are truly anchored in, then you will be immovable. You will be able to stay put firm exactly where you are supposed to be. A lot of times what happens for us is we end up thinking that we're holding on to an anchor and really it's been a buoy the whole time. A lot of times we think we're holding on to something that's firm and secure and it's the wrong thing. It's it's actually getting knocked back and forth by the ways just as much as we are, right? And that happens with us in our culture. And it happens with us even within the church. It's happened as I've seen people, I think, love the Lord and love the church and love people. And then storms happen in their life and they're out. A young pastor I knew who seemed like he was like on fire to faithfully preach the word of God. And all the mess of 2020 came and he's in a cult now. Like our culture has gone back and forth with the waves, right? We, we used to probably say things we shouldn't have said. Like I remember I've watched The Office again recently and I'm like, this episode would not be approved now in today's culture, right? Guess what? A lot of young people are watching now because here's what's happened is we've gone, we need to learn from like these things that we're saying that aren't okay to being hypersensitive in our culture and you can't say anything or you'll be canceled. And now this next generation is going like, no, no. 
So I've heard some of these young kids say stuff. I'm like, you can't say that. And they're like, why not? Because what happens is we go back and forth, back and forth as the waves knock into us, right? The waves keep pushing us. And I've seen people move from one political party to another because this didn't do the thing they promised it would do. Back and forth, back and forth. Trying to grab onto something that promises that it will keep us secure. Listen, your doctrine, your theology, right? Your, the group of people you hang out with, um, the way that you worship, the way you think uh, an order of service is supposed to go, your morals, all those things are good things. Buoys serve a purpose, right? They're markers. It's good that they're there. They're not anchors. They will not keep you firm where you're supposed to be. And when the storm comes and knocks against you, those buoys will carry you too. The only thing that can hold you firm and secure, the only real anchor we have is Jesus. The very word of God, who when he speaks and makes a promise, you can count on it. It will come. The one who came and fulfilled the promise himself in the flesh. The one who said to Abraham, you don't have to give your son. I'm going to give my son. And Jesus comes and he gives his life willingly. As Jesus goes into the earth, facing death on our behalf, and then rises out victoriously, he makes himself the anchor of our souls. So that when we cling to him, we can stay exactly where we're supposed to be. And listen, the waves of the storms of life will come and push against you. And you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it. My wife and I were just talking about this earlier this week. Like, man, this gets really, really hard. And then we have this over here and they're like two different competing things pushing against us. And we're like, yeah, we're going to feel it. And you're going to sway a little bit, but we're still anchored in. We're anchored into Jesus, not to this thing that seemed really good, not to this thing our culture promised would hold you firm because it won't, but to Jesus. Because of his life and death and his resurrection, the ultimate promise of God has now come to fruition. When God promised, the whole world will find blessing through your descendants to Abraham. Jesus is born into that family, that nation of Israel, and he is the one who brings the fullness of blessing available to all the world. And my hope is that the people I prayed with this morning would hear that and believe, not because of my words, but that they would hear the words of God and the promise given to them, the only one who can be fully trusted and clung on to. And my hope is the same for us in this room, that we too would hear these words, whether you've heard them a thousand times before, 10,000 times before, or for the first time, you are going to have storms in your life and the only one who could hold you secure is Jesus, the anchor for our souls. Amen?